Please join me for the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. O God, searcher of all our hearts, you have formed us as a people and claimed us for your own. As we come to acknowledge your sovereignty and grace and to enter anew into covenant with you, reveal any reluctance or falsehood within us. Let your spirit impress your truth on our inmost being and receive us in mercy for the sake of our mediator, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. You obeyed the truth and your souls were made pure. Now you sincerely love each other, but you must keep on loving with all your heart. Do this because God has given you new birth by his message that lives on forever. The scripture said, humans wither like grass and their glory fades like wildflowers. Grass dries up and flowers fall to the ground. But the Lord has said, what the Lord has said will stand forever. Our good news to you is what the Lord has said. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we um, look at new beginnings by remembering old habits. There's a family, they were going home from having had the youngest son, the infant, baptized. Now there was other family all going home as well to their house because it was a big celebration having baptized the youngest in the family. There was an older brother, five years old, sitting next to a younger infant brother who's in the uh, uh, infant carrier car seat. And older brother, five years of age, bursts into tears on the way home after his brother's been baptized. Mom turns around in the car, dad's driving, and says, honey, what's wrong? And he's just overcome with emotion. And he says, mom, it's horrible. And, and mom says, what, what's horrible? He says, Is that, well, everything the pastor said. And, and mom says, what do you mean, everything the pastor said? And, and, and the five-year-old said, well, you know, in the baptism, the preacher said that now you'll need to be raised in a Christian home. I don't want to move. <laughs> Baptism is so many things to so many people. Uh, we think about it as a, a, a way of initiation. We think about it as a way of um, being, uh, going through repentance and being cleansed of sin. We think about it in terms of salvation and the gospel. Um, it, it is an, uh, a wonderful image for the first Sunday of the year. Uh, when we look at our scripture text for today from uh, the book of 1 Peter, specifically uh, the first letter, uh, first, Peter's first letter um, traditionally is believed to be written by Peter, uh, the apostle, the disciple, uh, the one who eventually becomes Bishop of Rome. Now there is some discussion about whether a fisherman can put that much uh, grammar together, but having been somebody who fishes myself, I think the academics are wrong. Um, the letter is written to an audience, right? You have to think this is uh, a, number, a couple of generations into the future 
after Jesus' ministry. Um, this is written to an early church that is beginning to get uh, established. Um, that uh, these are Christians who've been dispersed all across the empire and that they're living uh, in some regards as resident aliens. Um, now, you know, 10 years ago um, in Texas, I'd have to explain what resident aliens would mean, but I'm pretty sure after this last election, um, people are already aware of all those issues. And so uh, the context is, is that Christians were being persecuted for their strange religious practices. Now, I know you think, what's strange about anything that we've done? Um, well, back in those days, you, you have to remember that there was the, uh, the emperor himself had kind of a pantheon of religious practices, uh, that civil religion uh, was something that people did. Um, and so if you think about uh, what the Christians were doing, right? Because back in those days, um, there were two parts of the worship service. You'd come to the worship service um, and we'd pray and we'd praise and we'd worship and we'd pray. And then we get to the point to where we're about to have communion. And if you're not a member of the church or baptized, see ya. And all you knew about what we were gonna do next is that we were gonna eat Jesus's body and drink his blood. Sounds like a cannibalistic religion, right? And then if you push further, all those Christians, they talk about brother and sister this and sister and brother that, but you've seen that they're married. How could you marry siblings? That's not right, right? Not being humorous, I'm just talking about how strange the religious practices were in those days. And then to push even further, um, they would always share, early church Christians, the kiss of peace. Um, comes from uh, the Gospels, comes from a uh, story of Jesus uh, greeting the disciples themselves, uh, also kind of in a giving of the Spirit that we find. Uh, and so you could imagine if the Emperor Nero, who fiddled while Rome burned, heard about the Christians, well, they're strange. Things that are strange get persecuted. And so, because there was not any must-see TV uh, in those days, uh, Nero would round up the Christians and put them in the Colosseum with the uh, wild animals, and that was entertainment. Uh, and so, the book of 1 Peter is written to encourage, to edify Christians who were scattered throughout a culture that no longer, or, or had not come to the point of valuing or respecting them. And so, the words that we have in our scripture passage today uh, talk about obedience, right? Which, isn't that the word you want to use in 2017 to get people to come to church, right? No, obedience isn't that word that we think about how important it might be. But now, as we read the passage 22 through 25, the, their obedience to the truth was evidence in loving one another, and that loving one another was fruit of the gospel. It was the fruit of the gift that God had given. And that though everything, grass, flowers, humans, will wither and fade, the one thing that will never change is God's word spoken as truth. So we get this uh, summary that loving others is evidence of obedience and new birth. And that baptism is an example of how God loves us. Now, everyone remembers their baptism differently, right? Some, uh, they've got um, uh, foggy old pictures uh, in the, uh, the printed photo book. 
uh, with the sticky and the right? And you can say, that's me, right? Uh, some of you uh, have pictures of your children's baptism and they're still stuck in your phone. No laughter, wow, okay. We all remember differently. Some as infants, and so the pictures are important. Uh, some remember um, just because it was a few years ago as they were an adult, uh, or maybe even a few more years ago when they were in school. That baptism uh, is used in different ways in different churches. I had a conversation this morning about someone asking if you had to be uh, immersed um, for your baptism to take. You know, like, like we're gonna do the baby and we don't wanna have to do the baby again. Um, And and of course, you know, there are um, denominations that say yes, and there's denominations that say water applied in the name of Jesus is effective. We're one of those, right? We will uh, sprinkle, we will pour, or we'll dunk. Wait, no, um, immerse, that's the more proper term. (laughs) I I have, um, I've done baptisms in pools, I've done baptisms in the Gulf, I've done, I've seen baptisms done in cattle stock tanks. Not that I would have picked that as the image for uh, being born again and clean. Um, But there's all those opportunities. In some traditions, uh, baptism is about being dunked in our water because you're becoming a member of this community. Uh, For other traditions, uh, having been baptized somewhere means that your baptism is affirmed here. But I wanna make the point that baptism is an example of God's love. Now, uh, this picture, as foggy as it is, um, is uh, the traditionally recognized place where Jesus was baptized. So it's um, a couple hundred feet off of where the Jordan is, um, that it's kind of in a a more of a seasonal um, stream area. So you'll find pictures of this where it's um, absolutely dry and pictures where uh, the water is uh, up the stairs uh, towards the pavilion. Um, so so get the, kind of get the scene in your head. Um, uh, John the Baptist, who's a little, little extreme, right? He uh, lives out in the desert, wears camel hair and um, eats locusts and honey. I've already told you, I get the honey, makes sense. Locust, still getting used to it. Um, and he is, he's prophetic. He is um, calling the people to repentance. I, I've told you before that when a prophet shows up on your doorstep, it's gonna get worse before it gets better because the prophet shows up to tell you you're doing it wrong and to call you back to some truthfulness. And so um, John the Baptist is calling the Jewish people uh, back uh, you know, uh, into repentance and back into faithful living. And here comes Jesus showing up. Now, John and Jesus were cousins. And, and John knows who Jesus is. John's known uh, from uh, his early childhood that his, his work was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so he sees Jesus coming and he knows exactly. And, and, and Jesus says, uh, baptize me. Now, John's baptism at that time was about repentance. Uh, we don't have all of the uh, understandings of uh, redemption and uh, dying and raising uh, to new life. Um, this was um, a ritual bath, kind of like something you do like New Year's resolutions on uh, you know, January 1st. Uh, and so Jesus says, baptize me. And, and John says, no, I'm not even worthy to, to, to clean your shoes, uh, you know, uh, lace your sandals. And, and, and Jesus says, do it. And John does. And um, if you remember the story, uh, John puts Jesus under the water. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, 
The clouds and the heavens break. A dove alights on Jesus' head. And there's a loud voice that says, this is my beloved. This is my son. Listen to him. That's a pretty um, amazing uh, message of love. I, I mean, imagine if you have always been that kid, you know, that's Mary's boy, right? I mean, you, you know, born in a barn, right? I mean, we've had all the stories uh, here at Christmas time. That's, that's Mary's kid. They say he's the son of God, right? I mean, like all that stuff swirling around you. And so right before your public ministry begins, what happens? Your heavenly father in a public way says, you're mine. I love you. You have something to say. I mean, it's the ultimate uh, gift of love. It's the, the recognition. It's, the, uh, it's, it's what probably most of us want to hear from our parents or want to say confidently to our children or our grandchildren. It's a clear display of a message of love. And so what baptism does for all of us is it answers who we are. It answers uh, that deep question of what's my purpose and who I am. Uh, yeah, in the past we've uh, weighed heavily on if you've sinned, here's how you get right with God. I always find that interesting because Romans says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, it, it, sometimes baptism is that membership, right? It's strange, you know, church is the only place where membership doesn't have any privileges. Um, but it's very much that, that active community. Baptism answers, who am I? Um, Kenda Creasy Dean writes in the book, Almost Christian, uh, about how youth and young adults begin to form their identity. And throughout that growing up period of being an adolescent, a teenager, and a young adult, that they are putting on and taking off uh, roles and values, ethics and lifestyles. In, in fact, the big challenge of forming Christians in adolescent and young adult age is to get them to not treat their faith like they treat everything else. That it's something more permanent. I, I mean, uh, you know, having a 13-year-old at my house right now, um, I'd really love for that, that jacket of faith that gets put on and taken off. Can we make it a a straight jacket? I mean, <laughs> seems like that would defeat the purpose though, right? The, the optics are bad, I guess you could say. But baptism answers that question, who am I? And don't, don't you even wonder that? I mean, you don't have to be 13 or, or 14 or 18 to ask that question, who am I and what am I about? So Will Willimon, uh, who is a bishop in the Methodist Church, retired out of Alabama, had been um, uh, dean of the chapel at Duke uh, University where I went to seminary, um, has a great uh, kind of write about how uh, baptism answers uh, what the world says about us. And so uh, Will says that marketers will say about us that we are mostly makers and spenders of money, that we're capitalists, we're doers, we're producers, we're coveters, we're obtainers of iPads, sports cars with bucket seats and racing stripes, maybe even sailboats in your driveway, um, that you're preparing for your first mortgage in suburbia with a two-car garage and a 40-year payment, that if you do this right, you're doing life well, right? You know, if you remember back um, about a decade or so, uh, that the answer to a, um, a terrorist attack was go out and shop, don't stay inside. That there's a part of the world that says to us, you're part of the economic engine. Don't fail us now. 
asking that question, who are we? Scientific culture will say, we are self-centered, autonomous, self-made beings. Nobody will look out for you but you. You're the most important project in your life. Nurture, care for, and love your adorable you. There are no values except the ones you make. And there is no meaning save the meaning you choose. Right? What comes along with this is that there's nothing else, right? Uh, you know, science, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Dawson, um, uh, or Dawkins, Richard, I should check my notes before I say things off topic. Um, he wants us to think that when it's over, it's over. But isn't there something more? Isn't there something more than just that? Now, Hollywood will say, that music, entertainment, TV, movies, they're all about lusting and being lusted after. We're told that your body is your most important possession, so nurture it, love it, display it, caress it, show it off. Your heterosexual, homosexual, craving, satisfaction-seeking, getting ready for a lifetime of affairs, trysts, rendezvous, and romance. Everybody has an answer to the question of, who are we? Now, the church has said for generations, for, for centuries, that the answer to asking the question, who am I, is to come to the font and to look into the graceful waters that are there, to see the reflection of our own self in those waters, but to also know that there is something else there. Pick your metaphor. Through baptism, we are crowned, chosen, embraced, washed, adopted, gifted, reborn, killed, and raised, and thereby sent forth into the world redeemed. You see, baptism is more than just doing the baby, but it is setting an identity for a child, for an adult, for the rest of their lives to know that you are chosen, you are special, you are redeemed. That the answer to who am I isn't about packing your bag and, and going out west, but it's about coming to the font and seeing in that grace-filled water who God's created you to be. So I think it's interesting, our, um, our first Peter passage. Um, first Peter says, um, you have obeyed the truth. Uh, the truth that you should love one another. Um, somebody pointed this out in between services, so I'm not going to take credit for it. But do you remember what Jesus said in the farewell discourses in Gospel of John? He says, love one another. L love one another. It's almost like that last thing that Jesus says before he goes to the cross. Love one another. Now, if you do the whole opinion poll... If you do public opinion polls for people who don't go to church, asking them questions about people who do go to church, you know what the top three things are? Top three things that people that don't go to church think about us who do go to church is that we are judgmental, hypocritical, and anti-gay. You know, there's a lot of things that I hope to see before I retire from ministry. And sure, I'd love to see attendance and membership and giving all go up. But really what I want to see is one of those things change. One of those things changed so that people might know that no matter how big the church is, small the church is, how, how relevant it is, how, how, no matter what happens, that they might get it, that we're about loving one another. First Peter reminds us that loving others is the evidence of our obedience to God. Wouldn't that be such a better, right? I mean, I remember 
obey, right? I mean, that was, it's hard to catch flies with that kind of honey. Um, obedience, right? But what if obedience was just as simple as loving others? To show that the gospel is bearing fruit in our lives. What if that was the New Year's resolution for all of us? Just going to love others more so that the fruit of the gospel might be seen in my life. And what's so interesting is you take it from Jesus' baptism by John all the way through the gospels to the very last thing that he says to the disciples before going to the cross. Love one another. I want to close with a, a story. I mean, when you, when you make love the most important part of what you're doing, it changes everything else. There's a story of a woman who was part of the royal family um, uh, in England. She was privileged. She had um, a son. The son was about five or six years old. The son contracted a communicable disease that was deadly. Um, and um, he was placed into isolation, given treatment for what was uh, going on, and, and it was weeks. And the mother would come to the isolation unit, and she'd put her hand uh, on the window, and he'd put his. And they'd pass notes, and they'd talk, and, and, and they, they were connected. Uh, until one day, um, she heard one of the nurses that had kind of uh, suited up and uh, um, uh, robed up so that she wouldn't catch the disease. Uh, he said, the little boy, five, six years old, says to the nurse, why doesn't my mom ever hug and kiss me anymore? You, you see, no one had explained the logic uh, to him, that, that he was sick, and, and that to not let other people get sick, there can't be any human contact. No one explained that to him. But the mother overheard, and she told the doctors the next day, I'm going in. And the doctor said, he has a terminal illness. If you go, you'll contract it. You'll have a terminal illness as well. It'll be a death sentence for both of you. And she said, he's my boy. And so the next day, she went in. For the next four, five, six days in a row, she spent every day with him. She hugged him, she kissed him. She spent time with him, they played games. They lived life together. And within two weeks, they were buried together. That'd be easy for us to say, what's the logic in that? Well, why do that? That seems sad and, and sappy, preacher. What's the success there? If love is the most important thing, if loving others is the most important thing, if caring for others is the most important thing, changes everything. have to wonder... Because, you know, God knows kind of how much of a mess it was down here. But he sent his only son to love us. And what did we do? We picked Barabbas. Baptism is God's clear show of love for us. The work of Jesus is God's clear message of love for us. What would it be like for us to obey the truth if the truth was just as simple as love one another? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.